Welcome to episode 21 of the Travelling Wellness Show. On today's episode, I'm in South Australia and talking with health psychologist Miriam Hanker. Never heard of a health psychologist? Well, don't worry, neither had I. We begin today by defining health psychology and the role of a health psychologist in the identification and processing of the root causes of physical dysfunction. I, of course, stick my nose deep into Miriam's personal experiences, both as practitioner and patient, in order to give you guys a first-hand glimpse into how your thoughts and beliefs ultimately affect your reality. Miriam Hanker is a developer and master trainer of the Mainspring Method, which I personally recommend as an upskill course for other health practitioners wishing to broaden their patient understanding. Links to Miriam's sites are available on the website, The Travelling Wellness Show, under this episode. The Travelling Wellness Show is proudly brought to you by PSC Cell Charge, the world's most potent single-origin fulvic mineral supplement, which simply makes you feel better. If you're not taking Cell Charge, you should be. Enjoy the show. You are listening to Caravan Conversations with Shannon Brenton. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. Caravan Conversations is proudly produced by PSE Supplements and explores general health, nutrition and lifestyle with one of Australia's most experienced clinicians. Now, let's get into the show. Welcome everyone to this episode of Caravan Conversations. I'm Shannon Brenton, your host and owner of PSE Supplements. Today I'm up in the Adelaide Hills with today's special guest, Miriam Hanker, who is a health psychologist, an NLP trainer, and a master NLP practitioner. Thanks for coming on the show, Miriam. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for being here. Really excited. It's really cool. I was given this uh, referral by uh, Dr. Kylie Dodsworth, who you guys would have heard by now on the show, and uh, interestingly... um, Kylie's hooked me up with a lot of her pals, which is cool, who all sort of play in the integrative medicine space. Um, I've never really thought of integrative medicine as um, encapsulating psychology. So uh, hence my reason for uh, reaching out to you today, Miriam. Tell me, um, before we even start, I need to know, what's a health psychologist? Because I've never even heard of one before. Yeah, it's a good question. And uh, I think it's important to sort of understand, firstly, what it is and then how it's different from other psychologists. Please, yeah. So a health psychologist is someone who specialises not only in the mental health side of things, but in physical health. So a bit like a clinical psychologist bridges between psychology psychology and psychiatry. Yes. A health psychologist bridges between psychology and medicine. Wow. So we have a much greater understanding of the physical body, about the mind-body connection. And for people who are going through, say, chronic health issues or uh, wanting to understand their mind and how that's connected and how to enhance their mental and physical well-being, we we operate in that space. So health psychology in Australia is its own specialisation at the same level as clinical psychology. Yep. So most people might think of a clinical psychologist when they think of psychology, but there are different specialisations within psychology. So a health psychologist has the same level of qualification as a clinical psychologist. And same degree, like uh, sorry, a different degree? Very similar. You know, well, I've done a master's degree in health psychology. Yep. Most of my coursework was the same as yep. all the clinical psychologists, just a little bit different in terms of understanding health psychology itself, public health, epidemiology, sure. those sorts of things. Where was your early interest in, and what moved you into that health psychology realm? It's a good question. I'm going to have to go back a little bit in Please, my history. back as you need to. So um, I was one of those really weird people that knew when I was 15 what I wanted to be when I grew up. <laughs> and the, how a I health figured psychologist? It, I, I figured it out because I went to a careers expo and there was a computer program there that I answered a whole bunch of questions and what it spat out, what I should do with my life was become a psychologist. I'm like, all right, great. That'll well, do. That knows me. That's that's the path I'll set. And uh, that uh, led me into studying psychology straight out of school and that was all great. And then I got into my honours year and uh, honours year is a huge year because you've got all this coursework, you've got to do a research thesis. And the topic I chose because I really wanted to do something a bit different out of the box because that's me. And uh, a bit of a challenge was I looked at people with cancer and I was interested in what made a difference to their holistic well-being. And I was particularly interested in what spirituality and religion did for people with cancer. Wow. And what I discovered from that rather big project that I took on because I was interviewing people who were living with cancer and and most people were actually having chemotherapy while I was interviewing them. Mm. 
And what they really came out with in terms of an answer was spirituality and religion do make a big difference. And I took the God factor out of it and I was more interested what was it about religion yeah. or having a spiritual side that made a difference because people who had neither were significantly worse off. Yeah. And it was something about having meaning. It was about being connected to something greater than them mm-hmm. beyond who they are. Yep. And Isn't there it was, funny how disease pushes people there? Yeah, absolutely. And some of the key themes that came beyond just the spiritual religious aspect that um, I'd sort of commented in my thesis was about things like positive thinking. That makes a big difference. Mm. Um, having a sense of meaning to the experience. Like, what was the purpose of getting sick? Yeah. So many people said getting cancer was the best thing that ever happened to them. Absolutely. Or changed a path where they felt like they had been off off track. It was a pivotal shift. Huge shift. Yeah. Uh, there was the importance of having social support, having connection, um, having people that they could turn to. And so you did have work around, around this, yeah? Like, during that, uh, that yeah, following year. Yeah, yeah. So I was, I was doing all this research and... Uh, um, and basically from that, I knew where I kind of wanted to be was more in that space, very interested in this illness. And then I came up against this roadblock because my whole like focus was on becoming a psychologist. I didn't have a plan B <laughs> and I didn't get into a master's program the year after. Okay. I was like, well, what am I going to do with myself then? And then I got sick. Oh. So the year after my honours, I got very sick. And it was weird because no one knew what was wrong with me. First of all, I couldn't run and I had to stop playing sport because my legs would all seize up. And then it became I couldn't walk because walking 10 metres, I'd be in pain. And my legs wouldn't work. And no known diagnosis around this? No one could figure it out. You know, doctors would be like, oh, maybe it's a tendonitis issue. Go see a physio. Physio's like, I'm treating you and nothing's working. Yeah. That's all right. Sorry about the noise. It's all good. Um, <laughs> we had someone on a drill, everyone. It's all good. <laughs> So the, um, the, the beautiful thing about this experience was my body was failing me. No one knew what was going on and it became worse and worse. My hair started to fall out. My skin started going yellow and was dry. I couldn't do anything repetitive without my body sort of failing, like brushing my teeth. My hands would just stop working and seize up and I got so cold and my brain was foggy and I was putting on weight and even then, you know, everyone had a different explanation. I'm not one for surprises, so what was it in the end? <laughs> Finally, a blood test revealed it was an extreme case of hypothyroidism. Was it, yeah. I was going to ask if that, yeah. My doctor had never seen anything like it. It was extreme. Mm. Like, my TSH was over 300. Wow. Like... Never even heard of that. I'm 20... I was 22. Otherwise, healthy background. Then suddenly, this all went wrong. Mm-hmm. And, you know, looking back now at this experience... And understanding how important the mind is and our experiences of life, how it impacts us mentally and emotionally, that whole stress of the year of my honours result, like I pushed myself so hard, long nights, eating, drinking, whatever was going to keep me up, getting things done, only to have the disappointment of it producing nothing. Like I had no result for all that effort Mm. because I didn't get into masters Mm. and I wasn't a psychologist. Um, So this huge stress followed by this massive disappointment had an an effect on my body and I was put on thyroxine, it started to have an impact but even after, you know, my levels were all, you know, in where the doctor wanted it to be, I still had symptoms of hypothyroidism. Yep. And I wasn't content with... Living that way. Living that, I just didn't think that this, you know... You're going to have to be on medication the rest of your life. Advice was good enough. Yep. They didn't want to know how it happened. They weren't interested in figuring out something better for me. I still had some symptoms and I just thought this is, this is not fair. You realise this was just your apprenticeship, don't you? Completely. <laughs> I'd, become, I'd become really quite disillusioned with Western medicine. And it wasn't the first time I'd felt disappointed yes. by the way medicine had treated me. Mm. And uh, fortunately, I ended up finding life coaching and studied that and became a life coach. And I love that because it was such a positive way to work with people, to get them to change the way that they saw themselves, to set goals, to get the the wonderful high that we get when we achieve something that's meaningful to us. Mm. And I love that. And uh, that's what led me into studying neuro-linguistic programming or NLP. NLP, Um, And all the, uh, the sort of the package of tools that you get when you study NLP, including timeline therapy and hypnosis and in that journey from practitioner to master practitioner to trainer, 
more and more pieces fell into place about, wow, the mind has got so much influence on our health and well-being. Why aren't we talking more about that in everyday life? Man, there are some cool things that you can do in half an hour or an hour with somebody, which maybe traditional counselling or psychology might take weeks, yeah. months or never to achieve. Yep. And I love getting quick results for people. It's interesting you bring that up because <clears throat> this is not a stab at all of uh, psychology, but just throughout my career, it interests me how many people have come away from traditional psychology disappointed or underwhelmed, you know? Mm. Uh, almost like it's just been, I don't know, like there's been a download and what they've left with was um, indirectly um, an awareness of how messed up they are without actually being able to get deep enough underneath it, you know? That's right. But when you start talking hypnotherapy and these sorts of things, they're traditionally boo-hooed, aren't they, by, by traditional psychologists? They, they have been. I think it's really fortunate that more and more research has been done and there are some really significant results, particularly for things like chronic pain and... Um, anxiety, depression that can make a difference but across the whole spectrum it's still kind of looked at very warily with not a level of understanding yeah. and the whole idea of working with the quote-unquote unconscious mind mm. has become not a part of mainstream, uh, mainstream psychology at all and you wonder why because 95% of who we are and what we do is unconscious mm. why are we not talking about what creates our behaviours and our thoughts and our feelings. Because you can't treat it with a drug. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I have a lot of respect for psychology and what it has brought to people and the main kind of process that psychologists use is cognitive behaviour therapy, yep. which has a pretty good evidence base. The downside of it is it's so conscious. Mm. It doesn't deal with the unconscious. Yep. So as a coach, even before I became a psychologist... People were coming to me with these problems that I'd had for years, weird and wonderful problems, physical health, mental health, all sorts of different weird and wonderful things, and saying, I've seen a psychologist for this years, for years, and I haven't gotten anywhere. And then in a few hours of working with me, problem's gone and they can't believe it. What you're saying, though, is that uh, if cognitive behavioural therapy is the prime tool that a, um, you know, a straight-out clinical psychologist might use with someone is that it's only addressing really 5% of the population. Well, yeah, a very like a very small percentage of if who we are. If 95% unconscious. Yeah, completely. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I'm just not content unless re decent results are achieved for people. So take me to your recovery because I think that people have got a lot to learn from your recovery and because it's yeah. emotional to you, you'll, you'll say it as it is. So you're 22, um, your thyroid stimulating hormone is mental, mm. 300 plus, mm. it's not normal. Just how, complete, uh, my thyroid much, just completely stopped how working. How much they put you on? They put me on the maximum dose. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I was, I started getting better, which is nice, you know, I could think again and my legs yep. would start working again. I honestly, that was the biggest relief being able to walk, walk. again. Yeah. Because at the time when I was studying, I was working as an orderly at the, at the Royal Adelaide Hospital Pushing people around for 20 kilometres a day was my job. Yeah. And I couldn't do my job properly. Yep. It was very, very distressing. So um, I got better. But you know what? Like I said, I just didn't feel like Western medicine had answers for me. Mm. So I started looking outside. Now, I'm very fortunate that my, both of my parents have had at least a vague interest in, in natural health natural medicine you know mum was like oh well let's try the echinacea and the chamomile and yeah. <laughs> you know things a little less you know trying to avoid as much antibiotics as possible so I knew that there were some options out there and I started exploring I explored homeopathy yeah suddenly my um uh, after having been treated with homeopathy my sensitivity to the cold which had still remained even after being on medication was gone yep cool that was great mm. Went into naturopathy, understood that I had a dairy intolerance. Stopped eating dairy. Oh, my digestive system's working so much better. Yeah. And I tried a whole heap of different things um, over the course of several years. And each time I entered into a journey with a new practitioner, you know, it came with a bit of excitement, a bit of wonder what's going to happen. And each time I felt like I got another step forward, but I never still felt like I quite got there. Yeah. Because I was still on medication. I was wondering, you know, I've definitely improved in my symptoms, but I'm still taking medication. And now understanding the mind so much better and how it worked, I thought, you know what, I've got to have to do something for myself because I have a belief in me that I can heal myself. I don't know where this belief came from, but it's been always with me. Mm. So, well, if I believe that, 
then I better back that up and give it a go. And I'd already learned a lot about mind-body medicine at this point. I thought, well, if I bring into my journey, into my process, some tools and techniques to encourage the body to heal and be well and not be dependent on this medication, let's see what happens. So in 2012, I started what I called my healing quest. (laughs) And I documented it and I had some tests done before I got into it to know where my baseline was. And my, my journey which I'll fully admit was not um, monitored by any health professional, was to just gradually wean myself off my medication. Because I had this weird fear that would come up any time that maybe I didn't take my medication that day or I'd gone away and forgot to bring it with me. I thought, that seems so irrational. So down came the medication bit by bit over a course of several months. And I'd said to myself, as long as I am feeling good, I'll keep going. Yep. I kept feeling good. I kept going and I got to the point where I was on no medication. I was still feeling good. I'm like, God damn it, I have healed myself and I felt elated by my own success. So it was, I don't know, maybe a few months after I sort of fully come off medication, I was on nothing. This is after having been on very little. I went and said, okay, it's time for those blood tests. So off I trundled to the doctor. hadn't told your GP at this time? Hadn't told my doctor anything about what I was doing. Yep. Had my bloods taken. Day after, I get a phone call. Late in the afternoon, I'd been consulting with clients and uh, the voicemail from the, the doctor's office had said, oh, you, the doctor wants you to go to emergency straight away. I'm listening to this voicemail going, uh, I'm fine. Uh, what do I need to go to emergency? So I called back the clinic and I said, look, uh, I've been left this message, what I need to do. And the um, reception said, everyone else has gone home, but the message here is uh, for you to go to ED because your blood results have us very worried. Hmm. Okay. Well, I was hung up from that going, well, I don't feel sick. I feel great. Uh, I called my naturopath and I said, look, uh, this is what's happened. Should I go to the hospital? And she said, all they're going to do is give you a dose of thyroxine and send you home. And I went, well, that's not really what I want. Not really, don't think I really need it. But I naturally felt rather disheartened by the fact that my blood said one thing, mm. but my body, my functioning said something completely different. Did you find out what the blood said? Almost as extreme, like 280 or something was my TSH. Yep. So just as extreme pretty much as when I was really ill and completely, you know, I felt like a vegetable at that time. Yep. To me being fully functional, Practicing full hours, exercising, I felt great. And I didn't really, I didn't know how this could happen. I went to the, um, I'd become interested in integrative medicine. I went along to the Australian Integrative Medicine Association's conference a couple years ago. And there was a specialist in thyroid um, disorders who was at the conference. Uh, His name escapes me, but uh, I'll remember. And I sat down with him. I sort of cornered him and sat down. I said, this is my story. This is what's happened. Can you explain it? Because the doctor was not happy with me. He wanted me to see the endocrinologist. The endocrinologist like, you should go back on medication. You're not safe to do this. And he just looked at me and he said, you already know your answer. You've already healed yourself. So why do you need all this other proof for what you know deep within you to be true? What did your thyroid function say? Um, Forget TSH because it's a it's more a measure of pituitary health than thyroid health. What was your T four and T three? Virtually nothing. <clears throat> okay. So he was a person functioning perfectly well, and had been doing so for months, if not years, on barely anything. Hmm. How is it that my body was feeling great, and I wasn't hadn't lost any hair, weight was stable? Yep. No there was, there no was n- nothing, nothing, not a single thing. Because I'd said to myself, if symptoms come, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to investigate. And, and was it ever explained? Because I'm sitting here on the other side now thinking, if your TSH is like 288 and you've got almost zero T4 and T3, <clears throat> I'd go back on the med personally. Mm. So tell me what happened in the end. Well, I did. You did? I did. <laughs> and i tell you why. Because when I saw the endocrinologist, he said, look, you're, you're probably okay to not be on it because you're, you're okay. But if you get pregnant... Yeah, you're in all that's sorts. When I'm, that's when I'm worried. And yep. I went, okay. So I looked at um, the desiccated thyroid option yep. and uh, saw an integrative GP. He said, I think that's the right thing for you. Went on it and I felt really good. 
being on that as opposed to the synthyroid or the yep. the um, T3, T4 capsule, which I'd been on previously as well. Cool. So I feel great. I'm on some medication. You still take the desiccated thyroid extract? I do, yep. Because yep. there's still possibility of pregnancy. So yes. I'm, I'm more doing it for the little person that could be yep. rather than myself. And I think I'm still on my journey because I know what I achieved. Yes. I'm still not content until I guess deep within me that I can be completely off it. Mm -hmm. So there are other strategies in terms of nutrition and other sorts that I'm working on. So I'm never finished. Yeah, well, I think it's case in point though for the need for a multidisciplinary approach. Mm. You know, and that's that's a good example, I guess, vying in the um, in in the kind of um, corner of our medical Western physicians um, where. It's offering you something that the natural approach can't necessarily right now. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So it's. I think it's an awesome story. Tell me, um, what I'm pumped to hear about now is your mainspring because when we start talking about uh, methods, disciplines, techniques, etc., a lot of the mind body stuff. So you're talking like NLP, for instance. Now, look, my mum was an NLP um, practitioner, like back when I was a kid. You know, so mm. this is stuff that I've been exposed to a lot. I know a lot of high-end um, business firms and people get speakers in there to do NLP. A lot of people get great benefit from NLP. Yet, from a, a, a scientific efficacy um, standpoint, it gets boohooed to the shit house because there's people out there that generally like to disprove these things, and. Um, what I'm interested in is your mainspring technique that you obviously have um, created, which I think is awesome. Um, number one, where did it come from? I'm, I'm, I'm probably of the mindset that it's, it's been identified as something that was missing, hence why you decided mm. to plug it into the market. And can you explain what mainspring is for me so people can get their head around the actual technique that you're offering? More than happy to. So mind-body medicine is nothing new. It's been around for thousands of years in Eastern culture being able to work with the mind to have an effect on the body because it may be news to some people that your mind affects your body and your body affects your mind. Mm. That can lead to disease in the same way. You can actually use your mind to make an effect on your body. I'd seen it through working with clients. I'd had some cool results using NLP, for example. And um, one of the fun things became, you know, when I was more interested in my own health as well, what was possible in gathering lots of tools did a lot of research, read a lot of books, everything from Louise Hay, who's You Can Heal Your Life as a classic, and most yep. people can relate to her work, all the way through to the more um, medical people who'd gone out and, and on, on their own um, on their own journeys had discovered mind body medicine made a huge difference to their patients. And reading from, you know, all this wealth of knowledge, everything from mindfulness to hypnosis to guided imagery to some of the more um, up and coming techniques, including uh, from the work of people like Dr. Ernest Rossi, um, who's an American hypnotherapist, there's so much stuff out there saying, here's what you can do with the mind to heal the body based on the connection between the two. And I thought, this is great. But as a practitioner, how do I facilitate someone from the beginning of their journey to the end using, quote-unquote, mind-body medicine? Yeah. There's techniques. There's stories. There's affirmations. There's books that you can look up. Okay, what's the mental-emotional stuff mean? of arthritis yeah. and yeah. what does the kidney mean and all that kind of stuff? And I thought, that's nice, but where's the package? Where's the process as a practitioner that takes me from... Where's someone at, taking their history, understanding some of the events in their lives and beliefs that they have or anything else that may have contributed to their health situation and then takes them through the healing process, a more intensive intervention phase, clearing this stuff out using tools like hypnosis and NLP and timeline therapy and getting them into a much healthier place only to then teach them, okay, so your mind and your body need to be in the best place possible. So let's bring in things like mindfulness and meditation and other fantastic tools that keep someone on a daily basis connecting in, giving their body the right messages, promoting the relaxation or the healing response, which recent research has shown that engaging in that right down to the level of DNA turns off the genes of disease mm. and keep them on that healing path towards recovery. So this is what Mainspring is. It's the thing that I was looking for that didn't exist. It was the thing that put the whole thing in a package so that someone could go from the beginning through to the end and it's meant to be something that might take about 12 months from that looking deep into our history, what has happened and what's gone wrong. 
all the way through to a place where they're feeling fantastic. Every day they're engaging in, in wellness practices, including aspects of mind-body medicine, and taking themselves into a place of healing. Because really, all healing is self-healing. Mm, always, absolutely. Mm. How's it been um, received by your patient base? Great. Um, a lot of my patients are, have some sort of chronic illness. Not all my patients, because as a health psychologist, I still treat things like depression and anxiety. Yeah. Um, but people do have these health conditions. And you know, taking saying to somebody, is there a possibility that this thing that happened in your past may be connected to your health? Mm-hmm. For some people, it's completely new, and they're not sure about it. But for other people, like, yeah, I've wondered okay, well, what, what can I do about it? Yep. And then conversation starts going into what your unconscious is trying to do, what's it holding on to, what do we need to resolve and let go of in order for healing to be possible. Mm. And, you know, people, once they're willing to address and resolve, the process begins. And, uh, you know, it can take anywhere from, you know, just a couple of sessions through to several months for people to start really noticing the physical change, which could be a reduction in their symptoms. It could be a reduction in pain. It could be a greater functioning, more energy. So, uh, yeah. Very real outcomes too, right? Very real. Physical outcomes. Measurable outcomes, which, you know, when people are having, um, you know, when they are doing clinical trials on conditions and interventions, it's the change in symptoms that's measurable. Of course. And that's what we talk about, what's measurable and, and taking some measures to understand where we're at before we begin and how we're tracking. Have you got any examples of some clinical efficacy or scientific validity around the mainspring method? Yeah, so the mainspring itself is still pretty new and there hasn't been any trials on the whole process. Yep. But the, there is heaps of evidence underlying a lot of the techniques that are being used, like mindfulness. Let's just take that as a little case study for a moment. Yeah. Mindfulness has exploded. It is huge. Most people are talking about it, even in businesses and schools. Mm. So what has been... Isn't the, that a sign of the world we're in? Oh, well, it's, <laughs> when being present now becomes a new thing. I know. It's so, <laughs> something that's been around for so many thousands of years in, in Eastern culture. And it, and it should be innate, shouldn't it? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? To be here now, I'm talking to you right now. I don't need to worry about what I'm doing two hours from now, mm. what I did an hour ago. Do you know? Mm. It's And it's funny, you know, because even when we bring mindfulness up, uh, I know I make it sound simple, but um, I've had to work very hard to get to the point where I can be present now. Completely. Where that has become something that is now automatic for me. Um, I generally, like everyone else, I've got that you know, that that mind where I'm 10 steps ahead of myself. I'm thinking about next, 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 next. And you get to the end of the day. Like people will say to me regularly, they'll say, oh, I just drove from here to here. I don't remember the drive. <laughs> Completely. It's crazy, isn't it? And we think it's normal. We think it's normal to be worrying about the future and thinking what's to come or yep. dwell, dwelling on things that have happened. And that just seems to be normal. How much of this is our own fault, do you think? Oh, well, From I, a societal position, not... not you know. Very much from a societal position. It's so... You know, we were, we're meant to be busy, right? We have such a value on productivity. Yeah. And unless you're being productive, you're not valuable. So we we need to be busy or perceive ourselves to be busy and have lots going on because most people don't even like to sit in their own company yeah. without any stimulation. Yep. Just sit. It's true. And I just find we live in this society now too where, and you look on social media, everyone's grinding. You know, that word grind gives me the shits. Hashtag grind. Hashtag grind. grind. Everyone's grinding. And it's almost like there's a, a sense of kind of egoic purpose attached to the fact that we're pushing harder than the next bloke. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? We're achieving more than the next bloke. You don't need to sleep, you know. Einstein got round with four hours of sleep per night. That's enough. It's all we need. Mm. I think we hold ourselves to such a high level, you're right, of efficiency and outcome all the time. But, you know, when, when ill health becomes the outcome it obviously makes us look back doesn't it you know and go completely a lot of been doing hasn't worked a lot of people wear stress as a badge of honor yeah that's what i just tried to say in (laughs) (laughs) that's right it's so weird (laughs) it's like if they're not busy and stressed then what are they and yet stress is one of the most damaging things to our health yeah and there's ample evidence to prove that stress in the body is one of the most damaging things creating inflammation all the way down to the cellular level why aren't we talking about this more and intervening more on how much damage stress does? Yeah. It's not a badge of honour. It's yep. a big warning sign that something's wrong. It's something that I discuss with my patient base a lot. People get obsessed, I find, with diet. You know, people are obsessed with nutrition. And, you know, and obviously they come to me as a nutritionist and someone that's, that's, that's in that space of knowledge that can augment their diet to help them achieve things in their life. But I say to a lot of people... Um, 
that nutrition for me is probably the fourth or fifth thing that I change in a clinical t- context for someone. So many people, so many people come in and they're like, you know, they're fatigued and they're stressed and they've got anxiety and whatever, and they think that I'm going to go over their diet with them. They're going to live with a new diet that day because they might like to lose a few kilos as well. And you know what? I generally don't even go through diet on the mm. first day. I don't give a shit about diet on the first day because it's the it's it's of the least importance. Changing it generally changes nothing other than some you know small physiological alterations that aren't really that important when your life's gone down the gurgler Mm. and you know I say to so many people all the time that you know people don't sit back and look at their relationships they don't sit back and look at their sense of purpose they don't sit back and look at the bigger pictures they don't tick those big things off first they try to worry about the nitpicky little things that don't really make that much difference on their own Mm. do you know what I mean so I know that's a bit off context but when you start talking mindfulness I think it's where we where we start looking at purpose and like I say to a lot of people you know um, who am I and where am I going are questions that a lot of people can't answer for me Mm. you know who are you like what do you want in this world What what are you trying to achieve oh I haven't sat back and thought about that you know mm. the, the amount of people you know that I'll ask in January what's your plans for the year how's this year going to be different what have you got sort of planned for yourself oh yeah it's more of the same you know uh, expecting the same outcomes uh, of, of course you know or different outcomes they'd like but grinding and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and never being present now mm. so how important is mindfulness from a health psychology perspective and how much impact can it have on its own in altering a person's physiology? I think we've already concluded that it's important. The thing that's been really interesting in terms of health and recovery is that, you know, when your mind is not present, your body starts to freak out a little. Mm. Because what's happening in your mind when you are thinking, uh, you know, worrying about the future or dwelling on the past is those images that are coming into your mind, your body perceives it as if it's happening now. So if those are not pleasant thoughts, if those are disturbing images that are coming into your mind, your body is reacting to that. Of course. So when you bring your mind back from that place and you park it in the present moment and you keep it there, what happens is your body goes, oh, everything's okay. I'm here. I'm all right. I'm grounded in something that's tangible, like the breath or the feeling of your body in the chair or just simply being aware of sensations Oh, and as a result, it's like everything just slows down, calms down, the neurology settles, and as a result, things like depression and anxiety are drastically improved. You know, they use mindfulness-based stress reduction, which has a huge amount of evidence for its benefits for those things. Um, I myself published um, a paper on the use of mindfulness-based programs as an intervention for fibromyalgia. Now, fibromyalgia is one of the trickiest conditions for medicine to treat. They find it very hard to do so other than because for people who don't know, fibro's got elements of chronic pain like arthritis type stuff through the body and fatigue. Adrenal dysfunction. Yeah, and it's so much of the body is just not coping with life. And, uh, you know, apart from pain medication, there's not too much else that is done for them from a Western medicine perspective. So fortunately, there is some good evidence for mindfulness for fibromyalgia, reducing not only the psychological aspect, because a lot of people with fibro have anxiety and depression as well. Um, And as a result, they are calmer, they're less distressed, their pain goes down, uh, their sleep improves, and a whole bunch of other very tangible results, which is exciting. And all you're really asking them to do is just to sit in a mindful space Mm. for 10 minutes a day. Yep. That's not a lot. Absolutely. It's funny, it reminds me of, uh, of two quotes. The first one, um, the author escapes me, but they say, depression is living in yesterday and anxiety is living in tomorrow. Mm. You know, So once again, not, practice, not practicing mindfulness now. And the other one was Eckhart Tolle who said, stress is being here but wanting to be there. Mm. And it's consistently always, isn't it, sort of bridging ourselves away from where we are, where we sit right now. Mm. Um, mindfulness, of course, can be practiced anywhere, right? Absolutely. It doesn't driving, just have to be meditation with your eyes closed. It can yeah. be mindful moments. Yep. It can be while you're doing the dishes. Just be totally present with yep. it. Be curious and interested in the experience and all the sensations that come with doing something that you would otherwise have been quite mindless about. Yes. And that's having a benefit to your brain. Yeah, I've got a good buddy of mine, Glenn Phipps. Shout out to you if you're out there, Phipps. He's a, he runs a business called um, um, 
um, um, movement lab, and uh, he's he does he's an EP, so he he works with people um, who have a lot of injuries and and performance issues they're wanting to uh, to work on. But one of the big things that he does is works on mindful movement, mm. which is something that I've always been a, a big fan of and practice myself. In the fact that when you've had a big day and you work 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 work, that forty five minutes you get at the gym can either just be another distraction or it can be time when you can sit there and actually sit in that moment, mm. you know, and, and, and allow your, your take your mind to the muscle that's contracting and releasing and contracting and releasing and actually being present in the process of what you're doing rather than just ripping the weight and doing the next rep and doing the next set and running to the next spot. You know, it just becomes another, another thing to kind of um, consume ourselves with. So outside of mindfulness, I think we've covered that off pretty good right now. What other kinds of processes does the um, mainspring method uh, include? So I think a really important part of it is timeline therapy. If you've not heard of timeline therapy before, it was created by um, one of the leading um, practitioners and and trainers of NLP, um, Dr. Tad James, and uh, he created this back in the early 80s. There are some similar processes that are like timeline out there, but I'm going to focus on timeline. So timeline is a bit of a regressional process. It basically invites you to go back into your own history, into your own past, but revisit it in a way that you've never done so before. Yeah. Back to the, when it began, the root cause. You know, we have these mechanisms in our mind called gestalts. There's yeah. no test later, Shannon, so you don't have to. But <laughs> My mum's a gestalt this, therapist, so ah, it's right. all good. Don't That's excellent. That. You're already well prepared. Yeah. So, you know, gestalts are uh, the ways that our mind links together things that are similar. Yep. So each time in your life that you felt really angry about something, your mind has linked that event with all the other events that are like it. And those things are like, I like to liken them a bit like um, a string of pearls. You know, they're kind of all these big chunks of events linked together. And right at back at the beginning is a start point. Now, your mind really runs off that start point as your template. Yep. So when you go back to the first event and you look at it differently, and this is what timeline does, instead of going back in and, and reliving something and being reassociated into something that may have been quite unpleasant, yep. you're looking at it from the outside. You're looking at it from a perspective where you are the observer of yourself. And in that process, your whole, the whole point of being there is to learn from it. And this might sound, I don't know, a bit spiritual, but the whole point of, of our emotions is that to teach us something. Our experiences in life are about to teach us something. Of course. So in this process of, of observing what's happened in this event is to ask our own mind, our unconscious mind, what do I need to learn from this that's positive for me? Maybe I need to learn to stand up for myself. Maybe I need to learn to remain calm. Whatever it is that the unconscious says, this is your learning. And once you've got those learnings, and then you look forward into your future with that event and all the other ones ahead of you, with all those learnings, the emotions disappear. How invigorating too to find purpose in the original wound. Completely. Because most people take that wound on as almost like a a punishing, right? It's like they've been punished, they've had something done against them. It's almost a victim type sensationalism and then of course what do we do as people we tend to externalize our pain everywhere else so this is almost personal responsibility to some degree right completely and people often feel so at effect of their emotions yep. but our emotions are just like you know the, the the sensations we have when we get cut they're meant to draw our attention to something that's wrong mm-hmm. and instead of you know, addressing them and looking at them in a healthy way. We rep- we repress them and we push them down. And, you know, men especially are so good at ignoring or not being wanting to entertain emotions. Just gets pushed down, pushed I'll, down, I'll pushed down. I'll punch you later, boys. <laughs> <laughs> and in that festers. Of you know, it festers and it has an impact on our, and our behavior. It has an effect on the way we see things. Our perception is colored by the emotions within us that haven't been resolved. Yep. Um, and so when, when that stuff comes up and you let it go, and, you know, timeline therapy takes 10, 15 minutes to do to let something go. Like, mm. everyone's got 10, 15 minutes to let go of all their anger. Of course. Their sadness, their yep. guilt, their frustration. Can this also be attached to trauma? So in trauma, because I know this is traumatic for people to hear. I'm going to use mm. a couple of examples. I'm going to think of like the death of a child, okay? Um, um, sexual assault, mm. things like this where people are perceived as being the victim or yeah. perceived as, you know, taking a massive blow. Um, is there, I guess, a uh, possibility for people to also find that original wound at that point and still move forward despite Completely. how they feel? Completely. One of the, th- the things that's important for people to know that this kind of process is not about reassociating into trauma. 
Yes, uh, that's very important. You are disassociated and you're observing it from way outside yourself mm. in a position that's very safe. I've facilitated a lot of people who've had trauma, trauma in their past to let go. Because this is the thing. This is not about saying, it's okay what happened. I, I condone the behavior of the person who did wrong by me. Yeah. It's not saying that. But rather, what is the emotion you're holding on to you still serve for you? Mm. What can you take as a resource? And this is what positive learnings are. They are resources for how in the future, if things were to happen, how you'd handle it better. And uh, in what way you're, you're empowered, that you're beautiful, that you're loved, that you're special. And all these things can be discovered from what seems like the most traumatic, horrible things that have happened in the past. Not every timeline process is working on trauma, but we can absolutely make a huge difference to trauma. And when that stuff is gone, people feel light. They yeah. feel different. So many people look come into a session, you know, blotchy skin and they look like they've got the weight of the world on their shoulder. They let go of something. It's a physical change. They look like they've been at the day spa all day. Yeah. They look different. <laughs> people notice they look different. What have you done? Have you done something to your hair? No, they let go of something that has been within them that has weighed them down and had a big impact on their life. Have you got any um, examples? Like, let's use fibromyalgia as an example. Uh, I know the paper you did on that is on one of your websites, and we'll give that a a, uh, a reference at the end. But um, using fibro as an example, okay, it, it is um, one that the Western medical profession struggles with. I get that. Mm. Uh, you know, pretty much any time you've got something that uses the 18-point test to diagnose it and there's you know, nothing clinical, it is a subclinical disease, but when there's nothing clinical that can pinpoint its reasoning for being and when you don't look at subclinical ever, mm. um, that's obviously going to be a problem, right? Um, I treat lots of fibro and have no problems with it, to be honest with you, but mm. I know that a lot of people struggle with that. Let's use it as an example from a health psychology perspective. Yeah. Someone comes to you they've got that chronic pain in their trap their neck you know like their body's not functioning well they're fatigued their sleep's poor they've mm. got neurological issues and you know often depression and the like what what would be a normal way to approach this from a clinical perspective well absolutely one of the important things is to understand a little bit about what's happened leading up to this. You know, how has this changed their life? Yeah. And, uh, you know, often people are suffering the effects of change in their world where they're still measuring themselves against what they were like and who they were before they got sick. Yeah. So a lot of the, a lot of the time it's just starting to accept where they're at. That must be stressful for people. Completely. Yeah. And so much of the time they're, they're, they're measuring themselves against something that they can't achieve and that is continually de defeating. Yes. So it, it really does begin by accepting where we're at and saying, well, here's an opportunity for life to be better. How would you like life to be? Hmm. What haven't you considered about your life in line with your values, what's important to you, that you can still make life to be even if this condition is here? So really it's about re-engaging with life in a valued way. I find hypnosis fantastic for pain, for example. Uh, mindfulness has a huge benefit in terms of bringing them into the present moment and a lot of people, this is in my observation, I've also read a lot about it with fibro, they tend to be stress heads. So Absolutely. even before they became fibro, they had fibro, they were stress heads, maybe they were worry warts, a bit uptight, a bit perfectionistic. So we've got to address that too, let that go. And in that process, we become a lot more present, a lot more functioning, and we start setting goals for a valued life. What needs to change? in your world is it the relationship that's not healthy these are big questions aren't they mm. you know big questions what do you value where do you want to go um can you accept your current circumstances because people all live in a state of resistance let's face it mm. so you know what you're talking about essentially is busting through the wall of dysfunction that's brought them to the point where they are right now completely and taking responsibility for that as a human yeah very well put mm. I like it. It's mm. really exciting. Um, how can people gain access to your awesome system? Is it something people can do on their own? Do they have to do it under the influence of a practitioner? I would imagine they probably do. Um, tell people about how they can find out more about Mainspring. Sure. So at this stage, um, primarily what I'm providing is practitioner training for people who already are health professionals of some description, yep. counsellors and so on, so that they can do the full process. Because it is, it's more of a system than a technique. Yes. So the system... But I certainly provide a lot of information on my website, through, particularly through my blogs and other information and other things to be 
released soon for the everyday person to begin their journey in mind-body medicine. Because, you know, in reality, a lot of people have had miraculous healings with conditions that Western medicine kind of shrugs its shoulders and says, I don't know how that happened. It's a miracle. And the miracle. But they could say to you, well, my miracle happened because I took myself seriously. I made some changes. Yep. I got in tune with myself and who I really am. Yep. And I worked worked with that daily. This is not something just to do every now and again. Of course. Mind-body medicine is a daily process. This is where accountability is very important, right? Absolutely. And People don't hold themselves accountable because, it's, 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 let's face it, it's uncomfortable. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. And uh, the process of, of healing through mind-body medicine is very possible. And as, as Mainspring evolves... Uh, as it will, as I evolve as well, and uh, the people who become involved in it, it will become more and more accessible to every, everyday people to take themselves on that journey. Yep. They don't have to necessarily do it with a practitioner, but with a practitioner, it's just a little easier to know what to do next. And it individualizes the process too, no doubt. Completely. And sometimes it's a little bit easier to go to a place that's a little bit more tender when someone else is with you, guiding you and keeping you accountable. Yep. Rather than, you know, we're often very good at uh, kind of avoiding stuff that we don't of find very comfortable. So. Um, someone with us can uh, help make that work a lot better. I asked you at the beginning of our conversation basically how well these treatment strategies have been um, taken on by patients. Mm. I'd like to ask you now how well they've been received by practitioners mm. because I, I would also imagine that a practitioner that's wanting to use the mainspring technique in order to help their patient base, they have also identified as a whole in their work yeah. uh, or they're wanting to sort of put it together into a package where it's um, easier, I guess, to allow the flow to occur. What's your findings been and what kind of practitioners outside of like traditional counsellors that people would expect are mm. taking this on? So um, naturopaths are actually a big one for yep. it because they already have some great tools but the mind stuff is still a bit of a mystery to them. Sure. So naturopaths love it. People who have already studied NLP are also very keen in it. Maybe it's just because that's where my networks already exist, but they already have a deeper understanding of that mind-body connection or mm -hmm. is the, um, the mind-body loop. And so they're very interested. Counselors, psychologists. Yeah. Uh, other people who are natural therapy or complementary alternative therapy practitioners they're also very interested and I think it's it's great to see that people perhaps who haven't come from a background in the mind realizing how important it is and the whole the whole thing of mainspring has been designed to fit into an integrative medicine model so if you have a look at one of those integrative medicine models it has all these components like surgery and nutrition and herbs and um, a whole range of different elements that make up there is this this space that says mind body therapies but there was nothing apart from, you know, recommending someone do some mindfulness hmm. that really slotted into there. I thought, well, here's an opportunity for Mainspring to offer something very, very specific into an into a gap that exists into what I see as being the future of medicine. Yeah. How long does it take to train in Mainspring? Uh, well, I have the, the simple two-day level, what I call the level one training, where you get introduced to mind-body medicine, you understand what Mainspring is, and the three main... Uh, phases of mainspring which is your causative analysis looking at the history and understanding what's contributed from a psychological and emotional uh, stress perspective into someone's health through to the restorative phase through to the maintenance phase and uh, two days gets people ready as a practitioner because yep. I'm not teaching them practitioner skills no, of course I'm teaching them in a, a structure and a process and then from there once they're out and doing the job there's a level two training which I'll be running later in the year for people who've already had level one training mm -hmm. um, and that's just a deeper understanding of some of those mind-body tools I don't want to put you on the spot even though I am but um, is this the kind of thing that um, um, educated and experienced personal trainers could do absolutely because I see, I'm just sitting here and it's resonating with me because I think of PTs as a lot of the time people who are extremely passionate but often underskilled mm. in, in understanding the complexity of, of their client. But they're also the people who have the most time with the client. Mm, you know? Absolutely. If you're training someone for three hours a week, that's a lot of time and a lot of work could be getting done. Completely. In, in my mind. And 
certainly, like I was saying before about my mate Glenn Phipps and the blending of mindfulness into the process of movement, I think it's the kind of thing that a lot of trainers out there who are wanting to be great and wanting to do great but missing the mark, uh, and I'm not being paid for this, guys, other than the, the grand that just went under the table. <laughs> but, but um, yeah, seriously, I, I would recommend this for a personal trainer, for mm. sure. I think it's a really good upskill for these guys that could really do to add an extremely useful process to their arsenal um, that would probably um, completely blow their business out of the water too, I'd imagine. Oh, easily. You know, because I know from a consumer perspective, when you go somewhere and no one can help you and all of a sudden someone that you didn't expect it from was able to offer you that next level, Mm. um, there's a real connection and commitment there and massive referral base that generally flows. So um, how can people get on board with you. I've, I've represent a lot of trainers uh, who are out there who are wanting to be the best they can, who are great trainers as far as the physicality go, but don't really understand the, you know, the deeper stuff. Yeah. How can people like those guys get in touch with you um, if they're interested in doing a course or even someone else wants to learn it for themselves, you know? Yeah, completely. Look, they can just get in touch with me by email, which um, is miriam at mainspringmethod.com.au. They can give me a buzz. All the details are in the link to this podcast. Cool. Um, and really, when it comes to doing the practitioner training, for example, all I need to know is what the what your existing qualifications are to know whether you're the right fit for this level of training. Of course. And then once that happens and you're on board, I send you some great information to start you reading. I've got a heap of resources and references and things for people to get started on the journey. So once they hit the the two-day training, it's quite intensive, but they've already got some knowledge and they have a huge resource base to go from so they can start working with people straight away. Cool. And people that want to learn more about you, uh, what what are your sites? So you can come and visit me as my health psychologist side of things at miriamhenker.com and that's you can hanker with an e by with the an way h e n k e that's right .com um, and that has all my uh, details as a practitioner and what I do with the, my coaching and psychology work um, I also do work with executives and businesses as well and then I also have the, the mainspring method uh, so that's www mainspringmethod.com.au and uh, for those of you curious what a mainspring is I think it's yeah, important I asked before so please, t- please tell everyone <laughs> so because this may be a word that kind of sounds like it should have to do with I don't know water you know somewhere but it's actually got nothing to do with water um, it actually has to do with the clock so a mainspring in a clock is like the central spring of a, of a clock that unless that is present nothing else works so it's the, the, the root and there's a lot of some, some great synonyms around root cause and so on that's linked to mainspring. Yes. And it's a bit of an old word. You know, you might read about it in some old 18th and 19th century texts. It's not something we use much these days. Mm. But it, uh, I think it's a great, a great way of saying, hey, at the root of everything or something really important. Well, it's connected to you and your beliefs and, and your past, you know, yeah. so I think that's cool and uh, I think everything has energy, you know, uh, tools like this as well and I think it's a great name and I love your story so thanks for sharing it. But uh, thank you very much, Miriam, for coming on the show today. It's been really fascinating. Uh, another um, professional perspective on the importance and relevance of mind, body, spirit in the modern time. Um, which, as I've said before, has become almost a bit cool and almost a bit hip and almost a bit wanky as how much it's sort of thrown around out there, yet its relevance is unparalleled. Mm. And, you know, you're just another professional out there working with people, which for me is the most important thing, that there's once again this relevant twist, you know, where the health psychologist is finding it the the you know holistic doctor is finding it the naturopaths are finding it the kinesiologists know it these people all know it you know mm. that people are more complex and, and, and more complicated than quite possibly initially uh, understood not initially understood but currently understood and thinking out of the box yeah exactly right so it's been awesome talking to you thanks so much guys uh, get in uh, in touch with Miriam particularly seriously for trainers I think this would be an awesome two-day upskill um, I'm, I'm, seriously it'd be a really good way of promoting your business too and making you stand out from uh, from the other players but uh, thanks again guys we'll see you next week on Caribbean Conversations thanks Miriam thanks Shannon thank you for listening to this episode of Caravan Conversations proudly produced by PSE Supplements to see more about the podcast including notes from the episode please visit caravanconversations.com